Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. This morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So our topic uh, in the King's speech, the Sermon on the Mount, is loving your enemies today. It's a, it's a hugely important topic. This is the sixth time that Jesus says in his preach, you have heard it said, but I say. Uh, and this is probably, if you are climbing Mount Everest, this is the peak in terms of this particular aspect. Because uh, this is one of the most difficult things for human beings to get their heads around, to love and bless an enemy, or someone who does an injustice to you, or someone who does something wrong to you. It, is, it runs against everything in the flesh. It runs against everything in human nature. Uh, indeed, John Piper says it's one of the most difficult um, and controversial topics to actually consider blessing an enemy. It just, it just doesn't make sense. I just want to tell you a story about a guy who was a truck driver, and he, he had his favorite cafe uh, that he would have lunch at, and he would have his favorite meal. His favorite meal was uh, meat and potato pie with uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. I'm making you all hungry, aren't I? And green beans, green beans. And, and he'd have, when he could, he'd have lunch at his favorite uh, cafe. And on this particular day, it was very busy, uh, very little space. He, he sits down, the waitress serves him, and then all of a sudden, from nowhere, a bunch of bikers turn up, and they're rowdy and you know, messing around. And they come in, and uh, they, they're looking for someone to sit. They find a table next to him, uh, but there's too many of them, and they, they realize he's sitting at a table, and they want his table. So they say, uh, you know, I think it's time for you to go, mate. And he, and he, he said, well, I haven't finished yet. And so one of the bikers with his greasy finger... Uh, dips it into his dinner, wipes it through the mashed potatoes and gravy, tastes it and says, oh, it does taste good, the food here. Uh, but I think you're finished. And with that, one of the other bikers gets his mug of tea and tips it onto his plate. So with that, the truck driver who's sitting there minding his own business gets his napkin and wipes his face, finishes his meal, goes to the waitress, pays the bill and walks out. At which point, the, the, truck, the bikers are laughing and jeering. And uh, the waitress comes over and they say, to her, they say to her, he ain't much of a man, is he, that one? Uh, which she turns around and says, we ain't much of a truck driver either because he's just reversed all over your bikes. <laughs> so, now, uh, I think that pretty much summarizes human nature. You know, people want what other people have got. Uh, it produces tension. And then we take matters into our own hands and, uh, and we bear the consequences. And it, it's, it's a very real scenario. That kind of thing happens in life. I mean, road rage and other, other things. Um, I, this week, I've been really inspired. I've been listening to a number of speakers on this topic because I know it's an important topic. So I've listened to um, Rick Warren talk about love. He's done some brilliant series on 40 Days of Love. And uh, um, Martin Luther King as well. He's uh, an ama- was an amazing man. And I went back and listened to his 1957 preach uh, on, on loving your enemies. And he, he made a, a policy of his, or a decision of his, to speak on love 
every year. He decided that this is such an important topic, but on love and loving your enemies in particular. And I was just riveted. It might be 70 years ago, but I found myself enthralled by, by his message. So I don't apologize for bringing some of his thoughts into this message this morning. Um, it says in Matthew 5, I'll just pull this up. It says in Matthew 5, 43 to 44, which is the Sermon on the Mount in this section, you have heard the law You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, that's not true, you see. There is no law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that tells us something about human nature as well. It tells us that people add to the word of God. It tells us that they don't actually put into practice what they know is truth. They, they blend it. And in this case, it may be accidental. It may have evolved over years. But... The scriptures never did talk about and hate your, your enemy. Uh, and this is a quote from Leviticus, really, Leviticus 19. And Jesus says, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's interesting he uses that phraseology, I say, but I say. Um, that, that is what a, a, a Jewish rabbi would have used. The word behind the word say is actually, it means interpret. If you look in the Greek, it means interpret. And so... What Jesus was doing was saying, I'm going to reinterpret the mistakes that you've been communicated about or that you've heard or that you're using. I'm going to reinterpret actually what the scriptures say. And he says, and he's he's going to do it as a rabbi. And I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is a very, very difficult thing. And he's challenging this, this two errors. One is that they are misunderstanding and they're adding to the text. And secondly, they're misunderstanding who their neighbor is. They've assumed their neighbor is literally the person next door. But we know from the, 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 the teaching about the Good Samaritan that actually your neighbor is, is anybody who comes into contact with you who's got the ability to influence your world or do something for good or, or for bad. Your neighbor is a much bigger picture than just the person next door. So Jesus starts to, to drill into this. And then he carries on. He says in Matthew 5, 45, in that way you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. Now, he doesn't use the expression God. He says your father. He's making this relational. Your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight. Why would he say his sunlight? Because he's making it personal. Jesus is saying the father is giving what is his to this earth. His sunlight to both evil and good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. What we've got here is the expression of common, uh, common grace. R.T. Kendall would tell you uh, or describe this as common grace. God's common grace for all humanity. God shows the whole world of his presence in the creation that is around us. And in particular, sunlight and rain. In fact, that, that enables life to not only live but to go on and to reproduce. So God's common grace is available to all mankind. Um, it reminds me of a story of my grandfather when uh, I was a teenage boy. I was at home one day with a friend of mine. There was a thunderstorm going on, and our house was hit hit by lightning. And this lightning bolt went straight through the roof, hit an old aerial that was inside the roof, uh, and shot all the power of that lightning shot down through the house and blew a hole, burnt all the the wiring in the house out, and produced a fireball in our living room. And I was standing in the living room, and it was very, very loud. Uh, It just just. totally it's like it's an explosion and and i found myself automatically on the floor you've collapsed my, my friend was with me we were both on the floor my grandfather who's stone deaf at that point was sitting there opposite where the fireball came out into the room and it blew plaster all over him and his hair shot up 
<laughs> you can kind of picture it, an old man covered in plaster, you know, and he got his hearing back. <laughs> and he, was, he, he said, this is not, it so amazed him. He said, the power of God has given me my hearing back. <laughs> and, uh, and we said, yeah, granddad, that happens. With, you know, no, no, God's power has touched me. How is that possible? And a good friend of our family is George Verwer. Uh, was due to visit a few days later. He came around. My grandfather was so excited about the fact that God's power had given him his hearing back. <laughs> he said, how could this be possible? And George just used this expression. He said, well, God sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. <laughs> so in other words, he wasn't saying there was special favor. He was saying that that's just what God does and, and you're the beneficiary. There's not much else you can say. And, uh, but interesting anecdote. But, um, so extraordinary. But common grace is not the same as saving grace. Saving grace is the work of Jesus Christ giving himself as a sacrifice to pay the price for sins in this world, for our sins, for humanity's sins. And, and so saving grace is different to common grace. Everyone can see God through nature and life, but God's saving grace is only revealed through Jesus Christ. And it's our imperative to bring people into an understanding of that saving grace. Because common grace is lost on people at times. They make up all sorts of reasons for existing. So saving grace. That's why we're so missional in this church. That's why these guys are prayer walking across London and into Europe. And uh, that's why we are so compelled to do it because God's saving grace is a real power. And it comes through the sacrificial self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We know that his death on the cross enabled the price for our sins to be paid. And when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, as Saviour and Lord, that's where forgiveness comes in. That's where redemption comes in. That's where the change in our lives starts. And, and that's amazing saving grace. So um, amazing how fast we're getting through this. But Matthew 5, 46 to 48, if you love only those who love you, what reward is that there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Reward and perfection. Um, perfection doesn't mean you suddenly have no sins um, in this life. I think it's going to be impossible. For, in fact, it is, we know it's impossible. People sin. That's the reality of life. We sin. We strive not to, but we get caught out. Omission, commission, sins happen. But there is the ability to become perfect, and we'll tackle that later. But it's not good enough just to do good things for the people we like. Because there's a motive behind that. Each one of us has a motive to do good things, to love people around us. Our motive is because actually by loving and by doing good things, we know we get something back. We get something back. We, it's actually quite conditional. Um, at times, we just do the good things for the people we like, and we're selective about it. In fact, we, we choose to exclude people that we don't like, the people who are unjust, the people who give us a tough time. We exclude them. But the challenge here from Jesus is that we need to include those people, and that's where this pressure comes from. We need to include those. We need to be doing things that demonstrate God's love in us unconditionally, no matter who it is and no matter where we are. Now, that is difficult. It runs against the flesh because each one of you is thinking now of the most extreme situations. But how could you forgive? How could you bless when someone did such a bad thing to that person or to this person? But Jesus is telling us in the text that he uses the word enemies to the people. Individuals have, in other words, people are the recipients of injustice from all sorts of different causes and different sources. In Romans 12, 20, it says, if your enemies, again, plural, are hungry, feed them. 
If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you're heaping burning coals of shame on their heads. Now, we're not looking to shame people. Our motivation is not just to, just to make people feel bad. But actually what it does is that shame will, I believe, happen on the inside of their life. It's not that we're making a public spectacle of people. We're getting them to reflect on who they are when we do good things to people. We're not trying to cause them embarrassment. Um, I know human nature wants to, get the, wants to reverse your truck right over the bikes of the offenders. You want to do that. But, but actually, we've got to do something in ourselves if we're going to really love our enemies. Um, we've got to do three things, I would suggest to you, and there's many other thoughts about, around this, but um, Martin Luther King, and I, I've stolen this from him, he says we've got to recognize who we are. We've got to rec- really know who we are. If you're going to love your enemies, you've got to know who you are. You, your, yourself might be an enemy to you. I don't know. But your enemies are seeing you for who you are and the things that are being, uh, coming at you in life, if there is pressure and there is injustice taking place, who am I? What's important to me? What do I look like? Um, and it's not that we're trying to change ourselves, but there are reasons things happen. You know, we just need to understand who we are. You may have a different circle of friends. You may have... You may, in fact, people don't like other people for simple things because they're envious. Often envy is the thing that drives people. They want what someone else has got. And so what is it that you've got? Who are you? Understanding who are, understanding whether we've got a heart to love other people. You know, Rick Warren says that if you don't know love, you can't show love. If you don't know mercy, you can't show mercy. If you don't know grace, you can't show grace. You have to know it. Brother Yun, who wrote The Heavenly Man, talks about Scripture and says you can't know Scripture unless you've lived it. Unless you've lived the Scripture, you can't truly know the Scripture. And to read these texts, the danger is that we put this up as a a message this morning, and somehow it's just a message. But this has got to be applied, and we've got to figure out in ourselves where to apply it. We've got to recognize the good in others, because even the worst person... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We've got to recognize the good and the potential in other people. We've got to look for it. If, you're, if all you see is, is the bad moment, then that bad moment can destroy your whole perspective on who that person is and really what is going on in their world. We need to recognize the good in us. Look for the good. Look for it, because otherwise the bad will just dominate. And then recognize the power of forgiveness. It's a huge topic. Recognize the power of forgiveness. We could spend a whole series looking at forgiveness, but just this morning we'll touch on it for a few minutes. Uh, It's interesting. Artie Kendall says, 90% of human relationships are based on what we think the other person feels about us. That is huge. 90% of human relationships. That means what you think about somebody else produces an action in you that affects that other person. And you might be completely wrong because human beings are great at getting it wrong. We are very, very, we're experts at getting it wrong in relationship. It might just be a bad day with someone. It might just be a bad situation. Let's not push this away and say, oh, it's, it's the ultra evil. Uh, this is where all this lands. No, this is day to day, daily. This is, we're building deep foundations based on daily practices, daily habits, daily Daily activities. That's what this is about. It's what, what it's about. To recognize what we need to do. How can we love other people? Matthew 18, 21, 22. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? 
No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. It's not good enough to know about the scriptures. We have to live it. And the most difficult place to live it is where we have injustice happening and where there are people who would class themselves as enemies or we would class them as enemies for whatever. Maybe it's prejudice. Maybe it's racial separation. Maybe it's, it's, it's a class separation. Maybe it's a language separation. We see this all the time in Europe and other countries that, that people become experts at spotting the differences between nations and races. I'm amazed when I go to Macedonia and you meet the Albanians and other, the Bulgarians and other nationalities. Sometimes they, they, they can spot, in the, oh, they come from this country, they, they come from that town. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. I, I just figure, I don't know, I, maybe I, but I, I guess I'm not looking for it. I'm not looking for the differences I'm really not, and so I don't see them. And I think if you look for the differences, you, you'll find them, or you'll make them up. That's the danger. We'll make them up. Forgiveness is the decisive factor in how much you can love your enemy. What an amazing statement. Forgiveness. If we can't forgive, if we've not experienced forgiveness, how can we forgive others? And forgiveness, firstly, comes from Christ. God loves us unconditionally. He loves us despite what you've been through. He loves you despite the mess you've made of your life. And believe me, everyone in this room is messed up. No matter how righteous you are now, you have messed up. And I've messed up. We have all met, we're in the club of messer-upperers. And uh, it's true. But God forgave us and God forgives us. It's, and that's the expression of his love. That's what it is. That's what he's doing in our lives. It's what he's doing for us. Um, you know, you may say, well, you know, Enemies are people who do hugely bad things. And I, 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 how can you forgive a murderer? How can you forgive someone who commits some heinous crime, who st- steals from other people, commits a sexual offence with minors or, or, or with vulnerable people? Well, the challenge in the kingdom of God is that we have got to learn to forgive. And there are reasons for that. And this is an example of a situation where you think, well, this, this is so unfair. This is a couple from the States with their young son. They moved to Libya into Benghazi. He's a teacher of chemistry, or was. And uh, they moved to Libya because they just wanted to live out a call of God in, in their journey, and they felt it was right to do that and, and, and bring God's love into a community that they were living in. And so they did that. And then on December the 5th, 2013, um, Ronnie Smith was shot dead by a motorist in a car. They don't know who it was. And imagine what that's done. A young family, husbands lost, just destroyed. But they lived with values and belief and practice. And that led the wife, Anita, to make this statement publicly. She wrote a letter, an open letter, which was published. It was in the media. This was on CNN. It was on many TV channels. I love you. This is to the killer. I love you and forgive you. How could I not? For Jesus taught us to love our enemies. not to kill them or seek revenge. It's our compelling, compelling challenge. How can we do this? How can we do this? How can we love our enemies and bless them when people do bad things? We've just got to make that decision because in it is an incredible miracle. And God's plan is to unpack a miracle in your life. It says that 40 to 45% of what we do every day feels like a decision, but in fact, it's actually a habit. This is research done uh, and published in the Harvard Business Review, which occasionally I dip into, 40 to 45% of what we do every day feels like a decision, but it's actually habit. So if we don't change our habits around forgiveness and pl- praying and blessing, 
then we won't see the power of God's agape love operate in our lives. You know, the scriptures talk about three kinds of love. And we know about eros, the passion. Filial, which is family and relationship, friendship. But agape is redemptive. Agape is self-sacrificing. Agape demands nothing in return. Now that's a tough place to be. It's a tough place to be. We think we live there, but I don't think we do. We live in other forms of love. But agape, it's a difficult place to live. It's really difficult when it's related to your enemies. Because agape carries something. Hate carries destruction. Hate has no value. Hate destroys. You heard Ali's testimony on the video earlier about how he had no love. What did he have? He had hate in his world. And it isolated him. Hate isolates. It condemns. He was looking for love. It's amazing. What he found at the bridge center was love. He found unconditional love. Why? Because unconditional love, agape love, contains something. It contains something that's so powerful, you can't bottle it. It's the power of redemption. God has knitted into agape love the power of redemption for people. And when you show love to other people, the power of agape redemptive love is released from the bottle. And it does its work. Stuff you can't do, it will do for you. That's why God says, and that's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because you actually can't stop your enemies doing anything. All you can do is live in hate and allow that hate to fester in your heart and destroy you. And it becomes like a cancer. It becomes like a, a toxic poison in your system. The other person just, you know, what, they just carry on. To, but love carries redemption. Agape love, the love of God, if we model that as believers in the kingdom, we bring God's redemptive love into every situation we touch. And do you realize what that will do? It will work like the most powerful miracle you've ever seen. And stuff you think you can't change, all of a sudden God will change it. Isn't it incredible? It's incredible that God's made that work for us. He's made it available to us. And uh, his plan is that we exercise that in our life. And uh, how can we truly pray for our enemies, though, in the situation? Prayer is where the power is. Luke 6, 27, 28. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. It's everybody. Everybody you've got a beef with. Everybody you run into conflict with. Pray for them. Bless them. That's agape love. When you, when you've, it costs you something to do it. But didn't Jesus give everything for us? Didn't he give everything? Charles Spurgeon says, prayer is the forerunner of mercy. When you start praying for the people that are the vilest, the ones who've done the worst things to you, when you, when you pray for them, it softens your heart and prepares you to do acts of mercy. That's why it's so important. Don't dismiss this and say, oh, this can't work because I could never forgive a murderer or someone who's an abuser. But actually, every single day, you're coming into contact with people that actually can cause problems for you. Every week, you'll run into challenging situations. And we've got to live this. Otherwise, it's not a reality. How can we truly pray for our enemies? We have to soften our hearts. Romans 5 verse 10 says, While we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. While we're God's enemies, God viewed the sin that was in our world, that is in our world, the sin that actually dominates life and the activities of those around us, it dominates. And it says that, that God viewed us as enemies. Yet when we were enemies, he still gave himself. 
He gave himself his agape love. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's beaten. He's whipped. He's executed. Mock trial. Raised up on the cross. The ultimate. He gave his life for us. If we don't model that, we won't see that power operate in our lives. And God's saying, use it. I want you to operate in it. That's the kingdom foundation that he wants in our life. We build that foundation in our life. There's nobody too hard and too difficult. There's nobody out there that can't be touched by God's love. Nobody. You just have to be you, filled with God's love, pray and bless. Why? Because our DNA is the Father's DNA. If we're true followers of Christ, we are sons of the living God. Therefore, we have his DNA, and his DNA is to forgive, not to condemn. He never withholds blessing from us. He wants us to come to him. And remember, sometimes our human fleshly nature wants to get justice, but God says, no, leave that in my hands. God is the one who will make the decision. We're not called to condemn. We're called to love. We're called to release that power that God has given to us. We're called to release it. We're called to be custodians of it and release it. How can we truly pray for our enemies? Golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. So believe it or not, if you would love someone to pray that you are blessed, that your finances multiply, that your health is restored, that you find a great partner, that you get a great job, that's what you should be praying for your enemies. That's what it's saying. This is really difficult. The flesh doesn't want, you want to condemn them. You want them to meet God face to face and get justice right now. But God's doing his work. You never know what might spill out of that kind of situation. Prayer changes, well, we know prayer changes things, but C.S. Lewis says, prayer doesn't change God because God knows what God's doing. It changes me. Right? Prayer changes me. Now, we know that as we pray, God says intercede on behalf of nations and people. And we know the truth of this. And we intercede on behalf of situations and people. Uh, but God, but it's interesting how C.S. Lewis says it. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. And I think it does. It softens our hearts. And remember, often we're distracted by what we see in people, but we fail to remember often, and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else, that actually there's a spiritual world that we're in. And people are often manipulated by demonic forces, by the power of evil, by the power of sin. And actually, the Bible says we should pray into that realm and not react to the human being that's in front of us. We need to get to grips with that, study what the Scriptures teach us about dealing with spiritual forces in people's lives. I tell you what, we've got not only the ability to show God's amazing agape love to soften their hearts, but also we've got the ability to pray into the things that are controlling people in their situations. What an amazing double whammy for us as believers. There is nothing that can stop God's power working in our lives. It's absolutely amazing. What happens when I bless my enemy? Well, Matthew 5, 11 to 12. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. There's a great reward lined up because God's heart is to love the lost. That's what he wants us to do. He doesn't want his common grace to be the only evidence of his presence. He wants the true, tangible presence of his living agape love to be visible in this world. Um, Interesting. I, I mentioned earlier in the first service about a friend of mine. Sometimes the hardest people, the ones that look the most dangerous, they're the ones God is 
has got a plan, a beeline plan to reach. And when I was a teenager in my, my school, actually, in this area, there was a guy who was a particularly violent, and uh, uh, he, was a, he was a piece of work, let's just say. Um, he was a trained fighter, boxer, uh, and most of the school kept away from him, younger than me, and uh, he went on to be a, a boxer and a fighter and spent a lot of time in prison. And, you know, the sort of guy that when you see, you just really want to give a wide space to. Well, one day he turned up at this church. Years later, he walked through the door with his dark sunglasses on, looking like a bouncer. And I thought, oh, my word. My antenna went up and thought, there's trouble. There's trouble. There is trouble going to happen. One of our, the girls in the church had bumped into him at a pub door and said, why don't you come to church? Anyway, by God's grace, he sat through a few, he endured a few of my messages and a few other messages. And one day, uh, I challenged uh, someone, I challenged the room who would like to give their lives to Jesus. And this guy put his hand up and I baptized him in the baptistry over there. Uh, It didn't solve all of his challenges in life, but he made a connection with Christ and understood God's love. So God breaks through the toughest situations. But you know, um, hate is the opposite of love. Hate has nothing in it but destruction. And hate intensifies hate. It's a cycle. If we don't intercept the cycle of hate, it just produces more and more and more and more hate. That's what it does. It just feeds on anything that's good and produces more. And it also distorts. Hate distorts your judgment. You'll see something that someone's done that's wrong and you'll think everything about that person's bad. Or you'll, you'll, you'll see a situation that's damaging and your reaction will be, this is something that is just terrible. And it will distort your perspective. Hate distorts. But love protects. Love redeems. Love protects who? You and me. Love. It may not seem like it. You may think, I need to get justice. I need to get vengeance. I need to get my own back on that enemy. Actually, all you do is you get sucked into their hate. Don't be the consumer of somebody else's hate. Don't let their hate plant itself in you. Just push it out. And say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to intercede before God for you. That will protect you. That will protect your heart and keep you soft. But love, as I said before, redeems. Love's got this redemptive power in it that redeems. Now, I'll tell you a little story. We've got a minute or so left. Uh, this true story about an army sergeant. He, uh, he was a pretty wild guy. Had a life of drinking and swearing and cursing. He was sexually immoral. He um, was in charge of a bunch of uh, of young soldiers. He was arrogant and rude. And uh, there was a Christian guy who joined the the company of of soldiers. And he was in the barracks. And this guy knew about it. This this sergeant um, was not a nice guy. And one day, the recruit came in late in the evening. It was a wet day. um, Wet outside, dark. Came in. And... True to himself, this young recruit just knelt by his, his bunk beds and, and prayed before he went to bed that God, you know, whatever, just praying, just committing his day and his night to the Lord. And the sergeant saw it and he takes off his muddy boot because he's just been outside as well. And he throws his muddy boot and it hits the young man on the side of the face. And it, it, it drops to the floor. The young man wipes his face, climbs into his bunk. Amazingly enough, a few years later, the sergeant gave his life to Christ. Circumstances were different. Life had moved on. God had intercepted his life. Something has happened. Different circles. And someone asked him, what 
what happened to make you consider faith in Christ? And he said it was when the young guy, unknown to him, picked up the boots, cleaned them, and put them back beside his bed. And in the morning, the sergeant, with all that brash exterior, felt completely humbled by the self-sacrificial love shown by that little recruit. And that was the trigger point. Didn't preach to him, just showed God's love, cleaned his boots. We can all clean people's boots. Every one of us can do something to help somebody else. We just have to show authentic, self-sacrificial love. And it can be the simplest and smallest thing. And this sergeant attributes his own journey of faith to that point when he realized there's more to life than his existence. So love protects, it redeems, and it perfects. The word perfects that we read right at the beginning of the message is a word uh, actually means maturity, the root word of perfection. It says be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. It's relational. It means being mature. And maturity is this, taking hold of what God has paid the ultimate price for to show that same love to others. And we're sitting here today and that's our choice. We've got to choose whether we're going to live self-sacrifice lives where we show unconditional agape love or not. And the biggest challenge we're all going to face is our enemies. So band, why don't you join me? We're going to just meditate on that just for a moment as the band take us into a worship song. But um, as we sing this song, I'd like you to think about those biggest challenges relationally in your life. What's the motivation behind the problem relationships? Where's the difficulty? Is there anything you can do to show God's love in the situation? Maybe all you can do is pray and pray blessing. But if we exercise that decision, we release redemptive power into people's situations. So stand with me this morning. Jay, what song are we going to sing? Mighty to save. Well, God's mighty love operates powerfully as we know. So let's sing this song and think about those situations. And maybe you want to talk about some problems in your own life around dealing with enemies or injustice. I'm very happy to pray with you at the end. But now let's sing this song now before we finish our meeting.
Das Bild. Let's just all close our eyes. Let's close our eyes just, and we're just going to pray. Maybe you're standing here today and you, just like Ali in that video, don't really know God's love and you feel like you have no relationship with God, that relationship with our Father in heaven. And you know in your heart that's something you need to do something about. The easiest way to do something about that is to say, I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ, to put my trust, to follow him, to start a journey of walking with him and understanding him and learning about who he is. But it starts with that decision to walk towards him, to trust him, in a sense, to surrender your life to him, to put your trust in him. And if that's you today and you're standing in this meeting and you would like to do that, and I know there are people here that would like to, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if you pray this prayer with me, I know that God's love will come into your situation. And that stuff that damages life will be replaced by a newness of God's own presence in your heart. And if that's you today, pray this simple prayer with me. Father, I thank you for your unconditional love I thank you for Jesus who gave his life for me. I thank you that he's shown me his great love by paying the price for the sins, the evil things that I've done wrong. And today, I am making a choice to start to follow him and to put my trust in Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. So if you did, if you just raise your hand right now, everyone's eyes are closed. Yeah, I think there are more people. Yeah, I think there's more. I'm going to pray for those who've raised their hands. I'd love to pray with you afterwards. We're just going to ask God to do an amazing work uh, in every one of us today to be able to carry that incredible love that God has shown to us. Father, thank you for these people who've raised their hands this morning who are on this journey and want to start a journey or continue or develop a journey of following you, Jesus, to be a disciple, to be a follower. And Lord, I know that authentic faith triggers 
a celebration in heaven. And today we thank you, Lord, for those responses. But Lord, I also pray for each one of us who are struggling, God, with dealing with enemies and problems. And I pray, God, you give us the strength, the fortitude, the confidence, the character, God, to take your word and live it in Jesus' name. Amen.